One more time, could you just put your hands together to the Lord and praise him for what he's done. Oh. Lord Jesus, we uh, have our eyes on you right now. And Lord, we come from a thousand different stories this morning, different places, and the fight is real to just get here. And uh, Lord, in this room today, we lift you up. In our singing and our praying, reading of your word, we praise you. You're worthy. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, and we want you to get the attention today. And um, so keep our eyes on you. Please, Holy Spirit, tender our hearts, open our hearts to hear from you. Do the work that only you can do. And um, we worship you. Pray change lives today. Lord, send us out of here, encourage and strengthen and Lord, if anyone in this room today does not have a personal relationship with you through Christ, we pray today would be the day they'd be saved. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do what you came to do, that you would seek and save the lost. And Lord, so many in this room right now have the testimony of how you did just that. And our faith and our trust is in you. And we give you praise. You are worthy of that. And Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. This morning, uh, I woke in my house before everyone else uh, was awake, we have some guests in our home this weekend, and I did some things there to prepare to leave, and about an hour later, I left my house, it's still dark, very quiet at the house, and um, eased out to the truck, I jumped in the truck, I turned the ignition, there hadn't been a word spoken all morning uh, out loud in my house by me or anyone else. And the very first words I heard out loud when I started uh, the truck were, were these. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. And in the quietness of the morning, those words greeted me. And today I stand before you to tell you that I have never been more glad than the day I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He is a firm foundation. In our Good to Know series, today I want to offer to you that it is good to know who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. Now, when I think about that, I think that is the story of Christianity that has been proclaimed for 2,000 years. 
And how in heaven's view am I going to cover that in 30 minutes? I'm not. I'm going to need at least 40. All right? So, Lord, help us and stay with me. And um, much like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the message today is heavy on what Jesus did and not so much on why Jesus did it. My hope is today is that I can provide the information of who Jesus is, what he did, what he's doing, what he will do, and that the Spirit of God will provide the transformation as that truth sinks into our heart and our life. Today is much more of a flyover than it is a slow walk down the trail. And uh, I want us together to think in this one moment in a concise way of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. We've taken a few weeks and we've said it's good to know. It's good to know, first of all, that the Bible is God's word and can be trusted. And we gave reasons and proofs of why we can take God's word and trust it. And from there is everything that we say. Think about that. And when we uh, gather in structures like this, at times like this, uh, we are a church. We are a gathering. We are called out ones. And we invite people to come with us and hear the news that we have and respond to the news that we have. But where do we get that news? We get that news from God's word. And we believe that God's, what we call the Bible, is God's word. And it can be trusted. And when we stop believing that the Bible is God's word, let's close the doors and sell the building and go to the beach with the rest, all right? We're a church, and we have a message, and we have a book, and we have good news, and we believe that this Bible is God's word, and it can be trusted. And this word tells us that we have been created, and we said the second week that it's good to know that we have been created by God in his image. And then we saw in Genesis 3 that we have an enemy. We have an enemy that counts sin as win. And because of that sin in the fall that we have recorded in Genesis chapter 3, our relationship with God has been wrecked and the image of God has been shattered and we are traveling through the rest of God's word to see what it is, what it takes to reconcile that relationship with God that has been separated by sin and to restore the image of God that has been marred by sin. And so today we go from the Bible being God's word, to being created by God, to being, having an enemy that counts sin as a win. Today we say it is good to know that we have a Savior. We have a Savior. Matthew chapter 16. This question is given to the disciples by Jesus himself. Let's look together in Matthew 16 verse 13. Matthew 16 verse 13. 
Matthew 16, verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That simply means Simon, the son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus Christ, who is he? What has he done? What's he doing? What will he do? First of all, who is Jesus? There are lots of answers. Jesus asked this question in Matthew 16. He said to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And imagine a, a scene, maybe you're in a Sunday class this morning or you're at a, a coffee shop with a group of people or just right here in this room and just say to you, who do people, who do people out there that you're interacting with say that Jesus is? And that simply was what Jesus was doing. He said, you've been out there. You've been among the people. You've heard people talking. You've heard people comment. They've seen what uh, has been happening. They see who you're following. Uh, who do people say uh, that I am? And they responded. Just like our world would respond in a lot of different ways. If you ask your friends, who is Jesus? Somebody might say, well, I really don't even believe there was a Jesus. I believe he was a myth that somebody made up. It's like uh, historical fiction. It's just some history there, but the character's just made up. Some people might say, well, I think he was a good man. I think he's a good example. I think he was a good model. 
from what I can tell or what I've heard, I, I think he lived a good life. You might hear those kinds of things. When the disciples responded to Jesus, you got to, they said, well, some say John the Baptist. If you back up just a few pages, you find the story of John the Baptist. He had just been beheaded in, in these verses here close to chapter 16 for his stand on righteousness. Uh, some, some say that he's Elijah, and they, they thought of the, the reports they'd heard of, uh, of the prophet Elijah and the miracles that he had done and the power that he had demonstrated and they put Jesus in the category of Elijah. And there's others, Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet who came proclaiming uh, news about sin and calling for repentance. He says, people say he's a prophet. Now, in these answers, you have to give the crowd some credit in that they did uh, believe that, that Jesus was real and he was present and he was a, a person living in their day. And they had him in the right category, didn't they? They had Jesus in the right category. They had him as being somebody spiritual. Somebody that was alive humanly, that was uh, doing things and saying things and operating in ways that reminded them of the spiritual heroes of their day or of the past. But Jesus asked the most important question, not who do people say that I am. He asked the most important question when he said, who do you say that I am? And isn't that the question for every one of us in the room today? Many times when we ask people or have a conversation with people about Jesus, we'll find, especially in the South, uh, oftentimes people look almost, that's, well, my, who, who is Jesus to you? Oh, I know who Jesus is. My great-granddaddy was a Baptist preacher. And, and you, you realize, wait, the, the question is not who he was to your granddaddy. The question is not who he is to your neighbors or your friends. The question is, who is Jesus to you? And could it be possible for us today in a room of many to isolate ourselves and just personally say, who is Jesus to me? Carlos. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? And Simon Peter spoke. And he spoke from revelation. He spoke from God revealing who Jesus is. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms that answer. And he points to the fact that this truth came from God. This declaration that Simon Peter spoke out loud was the word, the truth of God about who Christ is. So who, what did he say? Who is Jesus? Well, first of all, he says, you are the Christ. We speak often of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. We see that over and over again. We, we might say, what, it, what was the name of the Savior? We might say, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus is his name, given name. Christ has more to do with title than it does name. Christ spoke of his title. Christ speaks of his position. Christ speaks of his role. Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ means Jesus. And the 
literal translation of Christ is the anointed one. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which was translated from the Hebrew word that's uh, our, our English word Messiah. And when the language was translated from Hebrew into English, it, um, from Hebrew into Greek, it became the word Christos. And when it went from Greek to English, it becomes Christ. And, see, and, and so here in our translation, you are the Christ, you are the Christos, or you are the Messiah, which means you're the anointed one, the promised one. And for Simon Peter, a Jew, to speak that, those words out loud about Christ, he was taking all of Old Testament history, all of the background about their spiritual life and saying the one that was promised and prophesied, written about throughout the Old Testament is now in front of me, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. That's who you are, Jesus. And he recognized in Jesus the position of Jesus and the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus. And so where are those prophecies? All the way back to Genesis 3. When humanity first sinned, we have the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. When God comes and he speaks, right there in the very beginning, there's this beginning prophecy of, of one who would come when he spoke about uh, one will come and may bruise his heel, but he will crush the head. And, and from there, you have prophecies throughout the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, and I'm going to move through a lot of verses rapidly this morning. A couple of weeks ago when we were in Italy, we went from Rome to Florence on a bullet train. And uh, I like that. That was, I liked, that was fun, getting somewhere on a bullet train. And we covered a lot of miles fast. So this morning, a lot of these verses are just, we're going to move through these. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7, the prophecy of the Old Testament. He, he said in verse uh, 13, Isaiah 7, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my Weary, my God, also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And of the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Just examples of prophecy pointing to a the coming Messiah, the coming king that would rule forever. And so who is Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Number two, who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The phrase there, living God, was Simon Peter's way of referring to the creator God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He, he, he said the, the living God, the one true God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are son of God. We're in the gospel of Matthew. The gospel of John is a gospel that points out so clearly who Jesus is as the son of God. It's in John's gospel that we have that most familiar voice, verse, 
For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. But here in Matthew, Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. In John chapter 1, we have this uh, spoken of in that, that gospel where we see that Jesus, the Christ, was fully God. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ, the Son of God, which means that he was divine. He possessed divinity. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And you skip down to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's the Christ, and he's the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 tells us that Jesus Christ came as the Son of God and that he is the radiance of God's glory. He is all God. He is the radiance of all of who God is in the flesh. So who is Christ? He is Christ. Who is Jesus? He's Christ. He's the Son of God. He's fully God. But notice how Jesus referred to himself. He said in the very first question there in Matthew 16, he said, it says, he asked, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, over and over again in the New Testament, when people would refer to Jesus, they would refer to him as the Son of God. But when Jesus referred to himself, he spoke of the Son of Man. And it was, his, it was his way of referring to himself and his position. In fact, in the New Testament, 70 times the Son of Man is used. And every one of those times, it is attributed to Jesus' own words. It comes from the Old Testament. And, 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 and it was the reference that he picked up. And when Jesus would speak specifically of himself, even asking, who do people say that I am? And it's revealed, you're the son of God. And he affirms that. He, he still identified himself. And, and what is that? It is this combination of seeing that Jesus, the Christ, was fully God and fully man. Fully human. Look in Philippians chapter 2, or listen to Philippians chapter 2. Oftentimes, in these days when we go to Philippians chapter 2, we're uh, about to talk about how to live, or we're about to talk about how to uh, operate in humility in relationship to other people. But Philippians chapter 2 is a passage that shows us so powerfully and clearly the, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Look in Philippians chapter 2, or listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So why did Jesus so often refer to himself as son of man? Well, there's some mystery to that. But I think it's tied even to the verse that we read just a moment ago in Matthew 16 where he says, "For your," he said, he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And what was going on? Just don't miss the dynamic of just everyday life happening there in Jerusalem and the regions around there and the long-held belief that the king of David that would sit on his throne would come as an earthly king that would overthrow all powers. And there was a great attempt to, uh, for belief that the Messiah would be that earthly, physical, reigning king. And even times where there was an attempt to, uh, to argue that Jesus would be that earthly king. In fact, here's, here's the clue to that. When Jesus said that he would go to Jerusalem and that he must suffer many things from the elders and be killed, what did Simon Peter do? Simon Peter, who had just spoken of him as being the Christ and the son of the living God, rejected, rebelled against the thought that Jesus would die. And it, and it must have been that he was saying, wait, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, you're not going to die. There's going to be some kind of overthrow of the present government, and you're going to be ushered to the throne. It's going to happen, Jesus. You're not going to die. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, wait, that's, that's Satan talking. That's Satan thinking. Get that thought behind me. Satan, get behind me. You, you've got your things here. You've got your own things here, not on the kingdom of heaven. So who's Jesus? He's Christ. He's son of God. He's son of man. Jesus is the son of God and son of man, sent to be the Christ. Now, I'm not setting out to prove this this morning. I'm just proclaiming to you how the Bible offers Christ to us. He did the miracles to prove it. He did the wonders to prove it. Who is Jesus? Number two, what did Jesus do? When he was here on this earth, what did Jesus do? The Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, what did Jesus do? Number one, he did what he promised he would do. You love those kind of people? He did what he promised that he would do. Here in Matthew 16, he said, he began to show his disciples, verse 21, from this time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He was in Caesarea Philippi. He said, I, I have to go. I must go to Jerusalem. And what did he promise he would do there? I'll suffer many things. From the elders and chief priests, he promised where this suffering would come from and scribes, and I'll be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And today, we're still having church because Jesus kept his word. Amen? 
He kept his word. He kept his promise. And when we see that he was proclaimed as the Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, all of that would crumble. All of that would fall apart. If you could just take this one verse and show, no, he went to Jerusalem and he was killed, but he didn't suffer. Or he went to Jerusalem and he suffered, but he didn't die. Or he went to Jerusalem and he suffered and he died, but he stayed in the grave. But we have church today, we have a gospel today, we have good news today because Jesus Christ, as the Son of God and Son of Man, went to Jerusalem and he suffered and he died on a cross and on the third day he was raised to life. That's the good news, that's the gospel. He did what he promised he would do. Number two, he did what he was purposed to do. Jesus came with a purpose. Don't miss this phrase. It's not wasted words. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he, what, say it. He he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. I, I don't mean this trite or, I don't mean it's silly, but it, it would it would reflect kind of how I might speak. If I, even if I knew I was going to die somewhere, I might say, I want y'all to know I'm thinking about going to Jerusalem. I think there's something I can do in Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that he was born to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that he was born to suffer and die and rise again. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. What did he do? He did what he promised he would do, and he did what he was purposed to do. Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28. When he's offering the Lord's Supper, and he takes the cup, and he says, this is the blood of my new covenant, And this blood is for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus knew that he would shed physical blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. And when you and I come to Christ by faith and God forgives us of our sin, he doesn't look at us and say our sin is not a big deal. He knows that sin is a big deal because it costs the blood of his only son. And the only way that we can be forgiven of our sin, that he can write that off, is because it's written off to the account of his sinless son. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. Number two, Matthew 10, 45. Not only was he purposed to forgive sin, Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this word ransom ties in with the word redemption. And redemption and ransom work together. And we see that Jesus came with purpose to give his life as a ransom so that you could be redeemed. To be redeemed means to set free with a price. And Jesus said, I came to pay the price. We sang just a moment ago. We probably learned that truth first in a hymn like that. Jesus paid it. How much? All. 
Jesus paid it all. He came to die as a to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And third, his purpose, Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. And that's spoken right in the story of Zacchaeus, who invited him to his home, and he believed and trusted Christ, and his life changed forever. And Jesus said, this is why I came, to seek and save the lost. And aren't you glad today that he did that? So Jesus, what did he do? The Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man, did what he promised he would do. He did what he was purposed to do. Now think about Jesus Christ and how compassionate he is, but how powerful he was. How patient he was with people, but how determined he was. What a good teacher he was. How meek he was, how humble he was, but how he set his self like a flint to go to Jerusalem. I have a, we have a friends in our past, Arnold and Nancy Humbert, who lived in Cleveland, Tennessee. And Arnold and Nancy Humbert raised bulldogs. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> he raised bulldogs. And, um, their favorite bulldog, and I'm telling you, he, he was, was a male bulldog, and he was 110% bulldog. I mean, he had the look, he had the cheeks, he had the nose, he had the eyes, and, and their favorite, most obvious bulldog. You know what his name was? You don't. I'm about to tell you. Precious. Precious, the bulldog. And I'm telling you, I don't think it's doing any harm to Jesus. Jesus determined as a bulldog, but precious in love and grace and mercy, went to the cross to serve, to ransom, to forgive sins, to set us free. What a Savior. That's what he did. Next, what is Jesus doing? Right now, what, what's he doing? While we worship, two things. He would appear and he would ascend. That's what he did. He, he appeared physically. People saw him. They witnessed him alive after the grave. He ascended to heaven. Two things Jesus does right now. He is preparing a place for us and he is praying for us. Your Savior. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man, is doing two things for you right now if you know him by faith. He is preparing a place for you. And he is praying for you. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. For I tell you where I am, you may be also. For I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And here we are in 2022, and you know what I know? He's been gone a long time. He's been preparing a place. When we were in Florence, Italy, a couple of weeks ago, we saw this 
baptistry that had been built and just this massive building that was just for baptizing in and it had doors on it. I think we have a picture available of the doors of this baptistry in Florence, Italy. That uh, those doors there, you can see just the height of a person standing right in front of it, just many, many feet tall. The artist that made those panels on that door worked on that door on those panels, a single artist on that single door for 21 years. 21 years. Imagine, what'd you do with your life? Made a door. <laughs> but not just any door. Jesus, what are you doing? 2,000 years preparing a place for you. Number two, he's praying for us. Listen to these verses, Roman 8, Romans 8.34 says that he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 says he lives to intercede. And 1 John 2.1 says that we have an advocate with the Father. It shows the work of prayer of Jesus Christ as we live here and we do life and we're justified by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is there at the Father praying, interceding for us, praying, serving as an advocate between us and the Father. How many times have I was excited as a kid when my mom would serve as an advocate with my father? And I would always have just this sense of peace knowing that mom probably had said, Jerry, Carlos is going to talk to you about something. Oh, he's preparing a place for us. He's praying for us. And last, what will Jesus do? One day he will stop preparing a place and one day he will stop praying for us. And then what? Three things. Jesus Christ will return. Jesus Christ will repay or reward. And Jesus Christ will reign forever. Back in Matthew 16, it's right here, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what we do until he does what he's going to do. We follow him. We abandon our life. We, lay, we take up the cross. We die to self and we follow him. Verse 25, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And verse 27 tells us what he will do. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he's done. That's what he will do. He will return and he will repay or he will reward. That means Jesus will operate as a judge. We will give an account. And hallelujah, when Jesus comes to me, I got one thing to report. I am a sinner saved by grace. Your blood, Jesus Christ, covered my sin. That's my only hope for being with you forever. And then the Bible tells us in Revelation 
that he will reign for a thousand years upon this earth and then he will present it all to God and we will worship around the throne forever. So today it's good to know who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus will, what he's doing and what Jesus will do. I want to ask our band to come and we're going to, we're going to sing. It's good to know we have a Savior. You know, life is a lot like a person who owns a piece of land. And on that piece of land, he searches for a place to build his house. Maybe you have 50 acres somewhere and you're just walking around. So where are we going to build a house? And you walk and you survey and you imagine and you consider and then you choose and you say, let's build right here. Life is like that. Life is like that. Some of you are right there. You're walking the land of this earth. You're walking in your life and you're thinking, where am I going to build? What am I going to build on? It's good to know when you're building a life that Christ is a firm foundation. It's good to know that we have a Savior. It's good to know that his name is is Jesus. If you want to receive him today, find me right here at the front or after we dismiss, find me out here in the commons and I can help you today know Jesus and if you know him, let's rejoice, let's worship, let's stand together.